Thank you for listening to Jubilee Tri-Valley's podcast. Today's podcast is part three of our sermon series entitled Instigating a Miracle. Please enjoy. Have you heard some of their stories? Uh, we are in a, gosh, I think we're going to run about six weeks throughout the, the end of the year on this series called Instigating a Miracle because here's, here's what I've discovered um, is that every one of us at some point in our life is going to need a miracle. Can I get a, an okay, an all right, a preach white boy, something? Everybody's going to need a miracle at some point in life. And, and here's where many of you are at. Many of you already have your miracle stories, these interesting things, crazy, anymore. I'm going to give you one wild notion, to, and it's this. It's that, what do you got to lose anyway? If you're really desperate in life and you really need a miracle, and you're not sure if you believe in miracles, why not just go for it? The worst thing that can happen is you're right where you already are. Right? So over the course of this series, just if, if you're doubting, if you're, if you're struggling, just humor me. Flow with me. See what might happen. Because what we've looked at is, is when we look at all the miracles that Jesus ever performed, what we find is, is that the majority, the majority of the time, there's a human element. I find this fascinating because I always thought miracles are purely God's will, God's design. He just did it when he wanted to and did not when he did not want to. And that was just the way that it was. And I discovered that's not true when we read the actual accounts of Jesus. Is that some people actually kind of stole a miracle, argued with Jesus for a miracle. I mean, just went after it with tenacity where they tracked him down to get a miracle. And so what we find is we find some principles all throughout the Bible that kind of trigger or instigate miracles. Now, real quickly, because I, I hate for us to get goofy about things. You can't formulate a miracle. I remember formulas in school. I got a buddy of mine who's in college, and he's telling me how his, he's got algebra class. Do you all remember algebra is A squared plus B squared equals C squared? How many of you are glad you forgot that? Can I, yeah. How many of you, that's a formula that can get the answer? You cannot formulate miracles. You can't do it. You can't, I, you can't walk out of here and say, well, Todd gave me these six things, so I'm going to do all these six things if it were a potion, and poof, my miracle's going to come out. What you'll find is when you read Scripture is that miracles are dynamic. Like, they're different. They're unique. Like, for instance, like, like the way Jesus would heal people always changed. You notice that? So, like, one guy, he would just touch him. Another guy, he would just say the words. Another guy, he spit in his eyes. That's crazy. Some of y'all forgot that story or you've never heard that story. Jesus literally, and just pops a loogie. I don't know if it was a loogie. It might have been just more, more saliva than snot. I don't know what the, what the ratios were, but he spits in the guy's One time he spits on the ground, makes kind of like a mud pie, rubs the mud pie. I'm just reading you the Bible. I'm just telling you stories. I didn't make this stuff up. These aren't my stories. I'm just a Bible teacher. Miracles are dynamic, and what we found, though, is that there's principles that kind of get the dynamic going. These are the instigators, and what we found in week one is, is that probably the most foundational, maybe the most crucial instigator is it's chutzpah. It's, it's audacious, persistent, sometimes obnoxious faith. Just to go after it and to keep believing and to keep persisting after it. That, that, that is one of the things that helped trigger a few people's miracles. And this is why Jesus would look at them in return and say, your faith has made you whole. Last week we looked at this one chapter. There's one chapter, Mark chapter 6. In the same chapter he goes to one place and the Bible says that Jesus could do no miracles. And later in the chapter he goes to a different town and the Bible says everyone gets healed. 
Did Jesus change? No. You know what changed? We found that atmosphere dictates miracles. That sometimes you can be in a funky environment, a weird environment. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you're just in a room and you're like, man, this room is weird. It's got like a vibe to it. You ever been there before? And sometimes you've been in other rooms and it's like, it's warm, it's encouraging, it's, you just feel good. Something about the atmosphere. And the Bible says that to trigger and instigate miracles, there needs to be an atmosphere of faith. There needs to be an atmosphere of reverence and honor. And you start creating those atmospheres, you have at least the potential to instigate a miracle. Now here's where we're going today. Because faith is hard to measure, isn't it? It's hard to quantify. Like you're a level five, you're a seven, it's number nine in the bat, it's great. It's hard to quantify that. It's also hard to measure and quantify atmosphere. Same thing, you're like, this room's kind of a six, this room's a two, you, you can't do that. Those are more ethereal ideas. Today, we're getting totally practical because there's this, there's this story I'm about to read for you, which is a very well-known story. Even if you didn't grow up going to church, you've heard this at least mentioned before. I'll tell you why it's so common. The story I'm about to read for you is probably the only, I think, real miracle that's in all four of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels, meaning they all kind of run along the same line of thought, the same line of, of timeline and stories, and they have some similarities to them. And then you got John that's totally unique. But this story is one of the very, very few stories that is in all four Jesus accounts. And what I want you to do as I read through the story, I want you to begin to ask yourself, what's the dynamic in play? What's the human element that we're going to get on today? Are you ready? Here we go. So the Bible says, Luke chapter 9, you can read on the screens with me. It says, when the, uh, the apostles returned... They reported to Jesus what they had done. Basically, Jesus sent them out on a little missionary journey. They came back, told them what happened. Then he took them with him and withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. I don't know how to pronounce that, but I'm going to go with that. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who needed healing. But late in the afternoon, the twelve came to Jesus and said, uh, Boss, you need to send these people away. So they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside. They need to find some food and lodging because we're out in such a remote place. We're in the boonies. Jesus replied, why don't you give them something to eat? And they answered and said, uh, well, sir, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. And unless we go and buy food for all this crowd, it was about 5,000 men. The way they did counting back then, they didn't really count women and children in these mass countings. So this is just men, not including women and children. Listen to this. He said, but he said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And the disciples did so. And everybody sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. Everybody say leftover. Those are leftovers. In case you ever wondered, sometimes we pray for things and we hope God can like just barely reach that need or reach that goal or meet that miracle. I just want to encourage you this one thought before we begin and before we pray is that God cannot just meet your miracle, but he can meet your miracle and have some leftovers. Let's pray before we start into the text. Father, we pray God that, uh, God, that you would just Idea. Speak to us about a thing we should change or do or go for. 
God, I just pray that you do something unique. God, there's all kinds of needs represented in this place, God. Pray that you'd meet those needs, that you show up in a, in a radical way, that God, we'd see miracles happen in our lives, God. This is our, our prayer in Jesus' name. If you believe that, say amen. 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 Now, did you notice it? Did you see it? It was real subtle. It was so subtle. Now again, the miracle is that Jesus takes a kid's lunchbox, two fish, five loaves of bread, and then multiplies it. We don't really know how. It didn't say that, you know, he just broke and broke. I don't know how it went down. I don't know if he like stuck his hands down in the basket so no one could see. I don't know. I wasn't there. But here's the deal. We know that all these people get fed and all these people are are fed to where there's 12 baskets left over. But what I want you to see is that there's a principle in place that happens that kickstarts this thing. And I'm going to read the verse again real quickly here. It says this in, in verse number, let me find it. Here we go. Verse number 14. It says, but he said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. So I looked, and I was like, okay, wait a minute. This, I got to check this out. So I went, and remember I told you it was in all four accounts, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and this is Luke, right? So I went and looked in the book of Matthew. You know what it says in Matthew? It says that he told all the people just to sit down. Now, in Mark, he says, sit them down in groups, in ranks, in hundreds and fifties. In Luke, which we just read, it says, have them sit down in groups of 50. And then in John, it just says, have them sit down. So I'm like, isn't that so unique, that Jesus took the time to specifically give them a number and say, I need these people to sit down and I need these people to get in some type of an arrangement and an order and an organization to this thing. Because here's what we know. When you have hungry people, you have angry people. Can I get an amen out there? Don't act like, you know, you don't get like that too. Like my wife knows this. There are two times that she just knows I'm going to get angry and I'm just sinful and she's going to have to have mercy, okay? One of them is when I'm building things. Um, and since I've just moved and I got to rebuild and hang and do, my mom was here. My mom saw me flash. Like I got my mom and my wife and I'm trying to hang something. And they're like, no, 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 do it like this. And no, no, over here. No, 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 an inch to the right. And I'm like, y'all need to chill out on me. And I'm just, I flashed on them. Sorry. So when I'm hanging or building things, that's anger. And when I'm too hungry, it's anger, okay? You need mercy because I'm a sinner. So imagine 5,000 men and they're all hungry. What do you have? A lot of anger, a lot of irritation. Now, have you ever been in a line for something and you're really, really hungry and the food and like what you find is, is that you find if you've got a bunch of angry dudes in line to get food, how you know it's just agitation. So Jesus says, look, I just recognize we're going to have to bring order to this because it would be like going into a third world country where nobody had food. And you've ever seen this and it really happens where they bring in these truckloads of food or they jump in like a parachute in food. People just swarm to the food and start literally trampling each other so that they can get to the food. You know what I'm talking about? So picture this scene, thousands of people, they're all hungry, many of them angry like I would be. And, and, and if Jesus just started breaking out food, there would be what? Chaos. There'd be chaos. It would be crazy. And so Jesus says, before I do anything, we need to bring, everybody say order. order. See, what's in play here, 
And what is so practical and what so many of us fight against, unfortunately, is the principle of order. So I begin to ask myself, is this a principle that's all throughout Scripture? Because I hate to just to pull an idea, pluck it out of one story and say, hey, this is it. So I begin to ask myself, is this something that we can find consistently in the nature of God? And I found it's true. As a matter of fact, if you go to Genesis chapter 1, verse number 1, the Bible says that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was void. That the earth was in a chaotic state, that the earth was just empty and void, and darkness fell upon the face of the deep. And then God said, let there be light. So the very beginning of creation, when God creates stuff, stuff is in total chaos, and the very first thing he does is he makes order out of chaos. Did you see that? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Literally, it means chaotic in their language. And so what he did was he began to order it. So you know what he does? The Bible says that on day one, he begins to create atmosphere and space. And then on day four, he fills it. In day two, he begins to build water. And on day, day five, he fills it with fish. And on day uh, three, he builds land. And on day six, he puts animals and creepy things on it. And then he builds mankind. And so literally what you find is that there's an order and a rhythm to all this thing. And he takes chaos and he brings order. He separates land from water. And he separates the firmaments from the firmaments. And he puts things in their proper place. And he brings order out of chaos. Here's a thought, guys. This is what I read when you keep reading the story. What you'll find is that before God creates woman, he creates man. And he has man order his world before woman is so that our wives don't have to step into our world and become our mom and fix our world for us. I can't believe I just said that. I shouldn't say stuff like that. So what I found is this. is that Again, order precedes what? Creation. Order precedes deliverance. Order precedes presence of God. And order precedes miracles. All throughout Scripture we can find this. So like I said, order precedes creation. We just talked about that. So God wants to deliver Noah. The flood is coming. He says to Noah, Noah's going to rain. He's, Noah says, what's rain? they never seen rain before. Noah's like, what is rain? It's just trust me, it's water. It's going to fall out of the sky. Okay. Build a boat. Okay. And God begins to give him descript detail, measurements, lengths, widths, the type of wood, where to put the window, how big the window should be, all the dynamics. Because if I'm going to deliver you, Noah, you got to get on board here. Because here's my bet. If, if Noah had not been given specific instructions, how many know men don't read instructions sometimes? We don't ask for directions sometimes. We don't, we just, we're just slow about certain things. And God said, I know you, I made you give you detailed instructions. You better follow them or you're going down in that boat. So God creates this incredible order and organization to the deliverance that he's going to bring. Order precedes the presence of God. Move forward in scripture, you'll find that the people of Israel come out of Egypt and God says, it is time for you to come out and worship me. There's order to this. This ain't no free for all. There's order. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you a place where we're going to gather and worship. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to give you the arrangements and the details and the depth and the length and the width, the number of posts that you're supposed to use, the number of materials that you're supposed to use. Inside of it, you're going to have a tent. And the tent's going to have layers to it. Here's all the different materials and the layers and the colors. Here, here's where the furniture goes. Guys, we're not the best at ordering furniture around. I just learned this again. I literally took my daughter's bedroom. I rearranged it four times before my wife got it just the way she wanted it. And so 
God says, I got an idea for where the furniture goes. You have a lamp over here and a table over here. The bread's going to be right there. And this is how it's all going to break. There's order to this thing. This isn't just a free for all. This isn't just do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. Everybody say order. And you're going to have a priest. And check this out. The priest has a certain outfit. He's got these jewels and medallions and weird things. It goes down to the type of underwear. You ever wonder what a priest wears? Because you wonder about the judge, you know. What does he got underneath there? You know, those Catholic guys with the big, what, the, what have they got under there? Old Testament priest, you know what he had? It was boxers, brief, what was it? No, no. Linen, trousers that went down from the knee to the thigh. That was what they wore. This is in scripture. Which here's a thought, single people. Keep your underwear on. Because the Bible says that when you came into the presence of God, if the priest wasn't wearing his underwear, that he would die. Just so keep your underwear on. There's an, everybody say order. Y'all are not with me yet. Everybody say order. There's an order to this thing. I know you're, you're, trust me, if you don't like it now, it's just going to get worse. So hang on. Uh, There's an order to life and an order. And what you'll find is that order precedes the blessing of God and order precedes miracles. This is going to make so much sense in a second. Check this out. Last, last, I'm just, all I'm doing is creating a pattern in your head so you can follow me. Last one I'll show you is this. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. The Bible says this, is that God is not a God of what? Disorder, but of peace. But everything should be done fittingly and in an orderly way. This is taken out of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And you know what Paul's addressing? Crazy churches. Corinthians is a port city. It's a wild church. It's, it's metropolitan. It's, it, it's got some crazy characters in it. There's a lot of sin issues that they're dealing with. And one of the things that he deals with in chapters 12, 13, and 14 is how they work church services. And he said, y'all are crazy up in here. You got people praying in tongues over there, prophesying over there. You got people over there drinking way too much communion wine. And y'all know those have gone too far. And, and we got to bring some order to this thing. It's not a Holy Ghost free-for-all where y'all get to just run wild and buck and shout and swing from the chandelier. There does have to be some semblance of order to this thing. And he begins to define for them what order is inside of a church service. It's like God is a God of what? Order. Now here's a thought. Where's the order that we need when it comes to the miracles that we need in our life? Because some of us are in desperate need of a miracle and some of us are reaching and struggling and praying and we're trying to hold on to hope and we're trying to hold on to faith and we're believing God for great things. But what I would say is is that some of us maybe lack some of the order that we need and we all struggle with this. Now, there's some of you out there that are of a certain personality temperament and order and organization come easy to you. Are you out there? Raise your hand real quick. You like to organize your drawers. Your socks are organized. Yeah, colored, like you love Excel spreadsheets and label makers. You're not, you're not in my boat, just so you know. We're not together. But there's some of you who are out there right now, and right now you're wanting to amen me. You're being quiet because your spouse is not like you. That's why you get along and actually work out together. But you're wanting to amen me because you're like, yeah, pastor, get you. we need order. We need organization. We need to put things together. And, and here's the deal. We all struggle against this, and I'll tell you why we all struggle against it. It's because life always drifts towards chaos, doesn't it? Does life ever drift towards order? Do you ever just like go out into your car and, and be like, wow, man, my car's just like cleaner than it was yesterday. Like, I, I don't know how that happened. Or you walk into your garage, guys, you ever look at your garage and you're like, wow, you know, my garage, those boxes, like, it's like garage fairies move them in the night and 
My garage is now cleaner and more organized and swept out. And I don't even know that happened. No, it's the exact opposite. Your car gets messier and dirtier and crazier. If you've got kids, it's, it's, it's exponential. Like you find stuff stuck and wedged in places when you have children. And your garage is the same way. Like, I, I, you know, and thank God for my wife. She's gone from 20 Christmas boxes to like 10 Christmas boxes in the garage. But, you know, you're just overwhelmed and you add more stuff. And you find this out when you move. Because when you move, you're like, how did we get all this junk? Where did this stuff come from? I look at my wife and I'm like, why do you keep buying stuff? Stop it. Because you just collect and add and it just expands and life moves and drifts towards chaos. There's life drift. I remember uh, my family would go to the beach. My mom's here today. And we would go down to Myrtle Beach every once in a while. And I remember that we were staying in a hotel. And I don't think the Pacific Ocean does this. Let me tell you about the Atlantic Ocean. The Atlantic Ocean, when you get into it, there's a drift to it. Like we would, I remember being a kid, we'd be like seven, eight years old and we'd get out in the ocean and we'd just play out there for as long as we could. We were always wanting to throw mud pies at each other and then jump in the waves. That was what our favorite two things to do at the beach were. But I remember like getting into the water and, and playing and playing and jumping into the waves and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden when I was ready to come out, I would come out and I, I remember being scared. Because I didn't see my mom, I didn't see my hotel, I didn't see any of that stuff. And, and it dawned on me like, I'm lost. And I'd look up and I think, I think like way up there is my hotel room. I have to walk all the way up the beach line to get my, you know what I'm talking about? Because there's an ocean drift. You just seem to get in it and it just takes you whether you like to or not. Life has that same effect on you, doesn't it? This is why your schedule just seems to get busier and busier. Your, 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 your life collects more and more stuff. You lose more and more time. You just, this is why the older you get, time seems to move faster. Think about it. When you were a kid, and it took forever for Christmas to get here. Now you're an adult. You're like, it's come too soon. Why? Because life has drifted towards more chaos. Time has shrunk, and you move faster now, or at least you're perceiving it to move faster. Because life just drifts that way. And so we have all these things in, in our life that drift and move towards chaos. I'm going to give you three things here that I think all Americans struggle with and that relate to most of our prayer requests. Now, I'm a pastor and people come to me for prayer all the time. I don't know if you knew that or not. They do. And if you ever need prayer, you should come to me. But they come to me and typically prayer requests, prayer needs when people need miracles, they usually fall in about three categories. And I, I found this consistently true for the last decade. Is when they're looking for miracles, they're looking for like a physical healing. They're looking for a financial breakthrough. Or they're looking for some type of relational miracle. They're wanting like a marriage to be restored or a kid to come back home or to be saved or something that affects. And the majority of the prayer requests that come to me fall into one of those categories. And you know what I think about when I think about the principle of order is this. We are probably most out of order in those three areas. The very thing that we're desperate for and in need of and, and, and praying for and believing God for, it's as if the world encourages us, it's as if the devil has got a support group for us to become more chaotic. So, so let's back up here real quick here. Everybody say finances. We'll just, we'll just start with finances. So this is the thing. I'm struggling, we're in debt, we gotta, I don't know how we're going to meet the, meet the bills, pay the bills, all this stuff is coming up. And sometimes there's just legitimate disaster that happens and causes this. But what you'll find is, is that many times we're looking for a miracle, but disorder is all in our life. And here's the problem with it. Let's say God actually gives us a miracle. 
The problem is, is if we always have disorder, we're going to go right back into the state of needing another what? Miracle. So if we live a life where we're always spending more than we bring in and buying things that we don't need to impress people we don't even like, and, and we, we're always just racking up our credit card bill and doing things that financially are unwise, we're going to eventually need a miracle. Let's say God gives you one. Let's say the principle of order doesn't apply here and God just does a dynamic miracle, brings you out. You're going to be right back in there unless you change the order of your finances, aren't you? And again, when I talk about America kind of being in this, listen to this. In 1968, and some of y'all were there. Go back in your brains. 68, consumer debt, like credit card debt, $8 billion. And that seems like small now, doesn't it? We deal like with trillions now when it talks about American debt. But listen, now it's over $880 billion worth of consumer credit card debt. Like unsecured debt. Not mortgages where you, know, you have something to show for it. Unsecured credit card consumer debt. $880 billion. And you're like, well, no wonder. We become a, we become a nation that, that's entitled. We deserve, because this is what we tell ourselves. Well, I really deserve that. I need that. We go shopping and like, it's so pretty. It's on sale. Honey, I got this 50% off. Yeah, but you still spent 100 bucks. Can I get an amen out there? Please, somebody help me. Okay, good. I, I'm not the only one, am I? And so what we do is, is we have financial disorder. But I'm telling you that if you're in here today and you're looking for a financial miracle, what you ought to do is create order in the midst of your praying. You need to create order so that it proceeds the miracle that comes so that when the miracle comes, you'll be able to actually receive it and do what? Sustain it. Because if you don't put order back, you're gonna be right. This is why I don't want you living on miracles. I want you living by faith and living on wisdom. That's where I really want you living. But in those desperate moments where you need a financial miracle or some type of miracle, ask yourself, is there disorder in my life to where, wow, it'd be really hard for God to bless me. It'd be really hard for me to take, take, take this in and do this with it. And here's some of the questions you need to ask yourself if you're thinking about a financial miracle is, where's all my money going? If you don't know where all your money is going, that's a really, really bad sign. The biblical principle of money, one of the biggest principles you'll see throughout Scripture is this. It's the stewardship principle. And it says this. You're the owner of nothing and the manager of everything. And any good financial manager tracks their money. Can you imagine going to like your financial manager or your financial accountant and be like, hey, where's my money at? And he'd be like, I don't know. I think it's kind of over here. I think we've got some stuff in the, you know, yeah. I don't know. It'll all work out. What if he told you that? What if she told you that? How would you feel? Very insecure about giving them more money. Okay, so like what if God comes to you and be like, hey, so, you know, I bless you. You got income, job. Oh, you know, like, how's that going? I don't know. I, you know. I just, that new outlet mall is really nice. And, you know, I just felt like I needed a new car. I felt like I deserved it. I work hard this year. And we got, it's out there though. I promise God. How would God feel about giving you more? It's just a thought that, that the number one thing that you need in your finances is a budget to say, I need to know where all my money is and where all my money is going. If we don't have that, we don't have order. And then once we discover that, we need to begin to tell our money where to go. Because it's not enough just to know it's going to Macy's and Nordstrom. It's not, you know, that's just, 
Just knowing that it's going there is not good enough. Now it's to begin to say, okay, based on my priorities, based on my limitations, based on where God has me alive, what's the priority now? Like, now I should tell it where to go. I need to put it in the right and allocate it into the right areas. Where should this be all going? And this is how we would order our finances so that we might just instigate a miracle. And so that when the miracle came, we could not only receive it, but we could sustain it. That's where we want to be in life. That's the sweet spot, isn't it? To say, God, we want miracles in our life, but we don't want to have to live on, we don't want to have to have a miracle every other week. God, we want to receive your miracle and let that miracle propel us into blessing. Somebody say amen. That's just a thought. Just sharing ideas with you. Now, here's, this, here's another one. Everybody say emotions. Emotions. I find this when I get prayer requests. The prayer requests come in and are like, you know, my husband or my wife or my son or my daughter. Or I've got this family member. And God, I really need you to to put this family back together or do something radical and, and we need healing in their hearts. We need forgiveness. And how many, we all need these things. Families are crazy. We always know that more around the holidays than any other time of the year. Family dynamics can be crazy. And so you know what we need? We need some emotional order. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? Because we don't normally think in those terms. But here's a radical notion. Let's say you're, you're a husband and you're like, God, I really need you to heal her heart and help her to forgive me and, and, and mend the relationship and bring us back together. She moved out. I really want you to do something. But you still got your anger issues and you still yell and cuss and throw things. Are you with me? Like if you don't create emotional order, Let's say God just bypasses that principle, gives you an incredible miracle, softens her heart, comes back home, and you haven't dealt with putting your emotions in order. And here's what I mean by putting emotions in order, is that our, our emotions don't control us, but we are rather in control of our emotions. That we think before we speak, and we think before we act, we don't just react out of our emotions. That's what's being emotionally in control is, Right? I mean, wives, let's think about this. You, you want your husband to you do, come to church and do all these things and have faith in God and come back home and be a parent, a spiritual leader and all. But you're still like manipulating, controlling, and you're nagging and like all these things come out of your mouth and it's just destructive and you're like, but I really want you to do a miracle, God. Here's the problem. Even if God did do a miracle, it's gonna lead right back into the same patterns that we were in before. And so what I really believe is this, is that God backs the whole thing up and says, I want you to put this thing in order first so that I can give you an incredible miracle. Because here's, here's what you need to know. God wants to bless your life. God wants to do great things in your life. God wants to do miracles in your life. You gotta know that he is good and that he is powerful and he wants to do those things in your life. But when the human element kicks in, you've gotta create some order so that God can do something great in your life. Somebody say, okay. Lastly is this, everybody say health. I get this one all the time. People come and be like, pastor, I got this thing, I got this deal, I got, you know, this is falling off or coming apart or whatever it is. And my heart breaks, but here's the reality. Let me talk to you about me. Okay, so, so I grew up in the South, and, and we fried everything in fatback grease, and it was really good. Um, and, 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 you know, just, just kind of eat some good Southern cooking. Can I get, yeah, anybody from the South? Yeah. And then it got worse, because that's, you know, that, that's fine. I mean, so I, you know, my grandmother lived till she was forever off that kind of food. So I'm not saying it's all bad. But then it got worse, because see, when I moved out of the house, I didn't even have home-cooked meals. And so you know what I lived off of? I lived off of uh, coffee. And, and fast food for years. That was my breakfast. My breakfast was a coffee. It was like a latte. 
And then for uh, lunch, I would go to a particular fast food restaurant of my choosing. And then for dinner, I would go to another fast food restaurant of my choosing. And I had this thing cornered. Like I had every single place. You know what I'm talking about if you're out there. You know that if I said Taco Bell, you would say, yeah, that's the number seven, no tomatoes. I, yeah. Like you don't need to tell me it's two gorditas or two nacho whatever thing of doodles. You just know the number. You are, it's programmed in. You're like, oh, McDonald's, yeah, yeah, I'll take a number three. With a Sprite. Or yeah, yeah, Burger King, I take the, the double Whopper with cheese, but Diet Coke, I'm trying to cut back. Um, that's how my life was as, as a young man, is, is like living on nothing but junk and fast food and terrible eating. Now, let me ask you a question. If I continue on that trend and I have a heart attack at 40, who's to blame for that? Yeah, me, right? That's my personal responsibility. And here I am, God, I need you to heal my heart. God, I need you to give me a miracle. Well, haven't I kind of sowed it and reaped it? Didn't I kind of, you know, I, I love my grandfather. My grandfather was a wonderful man, but he smoked his entire life and he died of lung cancer. That's not, you know, God, I need you to do a miracle. He still smokes. <laughs> During cancer, he still smokes. Um, I don't know if this is going to work out. And yeah, these are some tragic situations that I don't want to make light of it, but sometimes we do. Sometimes we just get overboard when it comes to how we treat our body. We don't get good diet. We don't get good rest. We don't have a, a good ways of taking care of our body. And then our body begins to break down and we need miracles. We need healing. And most of the time we've already sowed it so poorly in our past. We think there's no hope to recover. Can I tell you this? Put it in order now and just see what God might do for you. What do you got to lose? What if God does an incredible miracle? But if you'll put it in order now, let God heal you, then you'll be able to receive it, sustain it. But if we keep eating that, and then see what happened for me is, is my life was changed because I met Tara Lee. Queen Organa is what I refer to her as. She's all organic. No gluten, no sugar, no taste. Just, I'm just kidding. I'm just totally messing with her. She's actually a great, uh, great organic cook. I don't, yeah, she is. So, so my point is this, is my wife changed my life. I wouldn't have done it on my own. And she literally added years, if not decades, to my lifespan. Why? Because we just got some things in order and she did it for me. And there's just some things. And here's what I need you to know. Huge, huge, huge thing. If you, if you miss everything else, hone in on this right here. Order is Intentional. Because life always drifts towards chaos, doesn't it? If that's true, then order is an, intention, is an intentional thing. Meaning we have to be thoughtful, we have to be strategic, we have to have a plan. And, and here's, here, I know this isn't easy for us, but here's a thought. Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit being in your life. You know what one of the fruits of the Spirit is? Self-discipline. Yeah, self-discipline. And I know, I know this is not, this is a very applicable sermon though. It's a very practical sermon. It's not a happy sermon, practical sermon though. And what I want you to do is begin to look at the areas of your life where you need a miracle and then begin to backtrack that thing and say, do I and should I bring some order to this area of my life so that God can do a miracle? How many need a miracle in your life? Some of you, we had this last week. Raise your hand if you need, ask yourself the question, where is it that I need order? Where is it that I need God to put some things together in my life? Because I want God to be able to, to put it in my life so I can receive it and then sustain it and live on that thing for the rest of my life. Somebody say amen. Let me give you one more scripture. We're gonna close here. I have no idea what time it is. If you're taking medicine, you're on your own today. We talked about God not only feeding 5,000 men, not including women and children, but he had how many baskets left over? 12 baskets left. He's the God of more than enough. And it dawned on me as I read this last verse, I asked myself this question, how much did everybody get to eat? 
It was one lunchbox, right? Remember, it was two fish, five loaves of bread. Did everybody get the same portion? Did every, or, or did like little people get one and one and big people get a little bit more? Did everybody get the same? I just found this to be interesting. We're gonna close with this. John chapter six, verse 10. Jesus says, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks. Look at this. He distributed to those who were seated. But he gave them as much as they wanted. How much did everybody get? It was different. It was as much as they wanted. Meaning that God does not have the ability to just barely meet your needs. God does not have the ability to just barely save your life, just barely get you into heaven, to barely bless your life, to barely heal you, to barely prosper you. You know what he gave them? As much as they wanted. Because you know what? There were some little petite women in there that was like, no, I'll just take one. Just one bread, one fish, that's all. And there were some dudes, they were on Atkins or whatever, and then there were some dudes who like were with their buddies and wanted to have like an eating competition. Like, dude, I want five of them things. I want five fish, 10 loaves of bread. I want it all. Are you laughing? You know how guys are sometimes, especially like teenage boys who cannot, there's like, there's like a bottomless pit in their stomach and they just eat and eat and eat and eat. They probably had competitions to see who could eat the most. He gave them not as much as they needed, he gave them as much as they wanted and still had 12 baskets left over. Now what's the significance of that? I don't think there's any other than this, is that God just wanted to remind you that he has leftovers. There's plenty to go around. He is more than capable, and he still has leftovers, even after he has met your need and then some. The Bible says this in the book of Ephesians, it says, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we may ask or think according to the power that is within us. God wants to do a miracle in your life, but I'm telling you, they're dynamic. You can't formulate them. I can't walk out of here and say, if you'll do these four principles, I promise it, I can't. They're dynamic, they're unique. But I do know this, that when we read scripture, we find principles, we find, we find instigators, we find these things that kickstart miracles. And today we discovered that there is the principle of order. And some of us need to take a look back and say, where is my life? Where are my priorities? Where is my life headed? What are, what are the things in my life and where do I need to bring order to them so that God can do a crazy, amazing miracle in my life? And not just so that I can receive it, but that I can sustain it and live off of it and live off of his blessing and live off of his wisdom. And then you know what you can do? You can turn your faith, start pointing it towards other people's needs. You can take your audacity your obnoxious faith and begin to use it to help other people and to bless other people. Why? You got your miracle. I'm living on it. I'm sustained in it. And now I'm here to make sure other people, they rise up to the next level with me as well. And that's where we wanna be as a church and as a family. What would this place look like if we were always believing for each other's miracles? What if we were always believing for our families and our neighbors and different people around us? What would that look like? We would truly become the light of the world, the salt of the earth, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Let's pray this morning. If you're in here today and you say, Todd, I think that message might have been for me. Slip your hand up in the air. Just between you and God, that might have been for me. I think there were some things out of order. They need to get into order. There's some, maybe some emotions gone wild. Maybe some finances that are out of order. Some health issues I need to shore up. God wants you to take care of your physical body. There's a crazy scripture that the Bible says that you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. You should take care of your body. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's where God dwells. His spirit, in essence, dwells inside of you. 
Take care of that body. Surrender your emotions to God. Let God sanctify those emotions. Turn your finances over to biblical wisdom and say, God, I wanna do finances your way. Begin to bring order to your life. I promise you God wants to do something great in your life. God wants to bless you. So Father, we pray for those hands that are lifted. We pray for the needs represented here today. We, represented, we pray for the people that need miracles in this place today, God. We pray that you would do great things in their lives, Lord God. And for those of us who are not in a place where we need a miracle, God, I pray that you would just absolutely ignite our faith, Lord God, to believe for others, to pray for others, to encourage others. God, and wherever that in life, God, we pray and ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Somebody shout amen. 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 Give the Lord a big hand clap this morning. Come on, you can do bigger than that. Thank you again for listening to Jubilee Tri-Valley's podcast. For more information on Jubilee Tri-Valley Church, please visit us online at jtvchurch.org.